As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. Steelers beat the Saints 20-10. to TJ Watt comes back, and all of a sudden, the offense starts playing better. Who knew? All we needed was TJ Watt to get back in there, make some third-down stops along with Alex Highsmith and the boys, Get off the field, quickly dap up the teammates, walk into the tunnel at Heinz Field, cleats click clacking on the cement floor. Let me redo that one. Cleats click clacking on the concrete floor. It's better alliteration. Takes a hard right turn to a security guarded metal door. They of course see that it's TJ Watt needing to get through the door. He gives a simple head nod. Security guy types in the passcode. Door opens. Reveals a stairwell. Metal stairs. Pittsburgh. Steel. He walks up six flights of stairs. Opens another door. To another door. All of a sudden, he's in the Steelers press box. Matt Canada ready to call plays. TJ whispers in his ear. Throw a slant, damn it. He throws a slant. Deontay Johnson catches it. He says, awesome. He says, hey, throw a damn seam route to Fryermuth. We need to use the middle of the field more. Canada says, yes, sir. They throw it as Fryermuth makes the catch. All of a sudden, not only is the defensive pressure issue solved thanks to TJ Watt, but apparently Matt Canada can call plays now because that worked much better this week. Furthermore, he tells Matty right before he leaves to get back on the field to go punish some posing offenders, as we say in the business. He says, hey, you got Kenny in the earpiece, right? And Matt says, yes, sir. He says, all right, tell Kenny to tell Najee to run straight. No more dancing around. Please run straight. Use your 6'2", 300-pound body of pure muscle to run over people instead of trying to dance around them with your 4'9 speed. Just run straight. And Matt Canada says, well, do, do you want to tell him instead, sir? And he said, no, you can do it. And Matt Canada says, thank you. And he tells Kenny, and Kenny tells Najee, and Najee starts running straight. And, oh, my God, it looks like a first-round pick again. Good times to be had for the Steelers. Great win. Let's look at the overall themes of the game. Because Dad, my co-podcast host here, at least when we're not in the, uh, the throes of the hectic 
regular season schedule. Dad, as he edited the podcast, mentioned to me kindly and constructively, you're rambling like a psychopath. We need some sort of order on these podcasts. And I said, yeah, you're right. So let's outline the couple themes that I thought of. The biggest theme is that I did not, in my wildest dreams, think that the Steelers during their bye week would actually make so many noticeable adjustments to the biggest problems that the Steelers have had, which is offensively, you know, calling plays that do not attack the middle of the field, that do not attack down the field. That was pronounced the difference this week. So I'll say Matt Canada's play calling, uh, you got to give him credit when it actually does turn around. No, it's not perfect, but it was very noticeable. The differences that we had this week, that's the big first theme. The second theme is, is sort of the obvious one, right? Is that when the Pigeons come to Heinz Field, the Steelers win. They're 2-0 in Pigeon games. And by the same token, when T.J. Watt plays, the Steelers generally win. Are they undefeated with T.J. this year? <laughs> 2-0 with Pigeons, 2-0 with T.J.? Um, yeah, so T.J. Watt making a huge impact. Almost doesn't even deserve to be a theme. It's, it's implied. You know that when he was going to come back, it was going to make a big difference. But... It's one thing to talk about it, and it's the second thing to see it. And, and look how Alex Highsmith benefits from that return as well, which really transforms the Steelers' defense when you think about having, hmm, you might have one of the top edge rushing duos in the league. That's, that's major. So TJ will be the second theme there. And then the third theme, I think you could go with a few different things, but I'm going to go with Najee Harris turning it around. I, I think he is um, – Strongly linked to the Matt Canada issue over the season. Obviously, Najee has been a hot-button topic since he was drafted. You know, it's hard to argue that the Steelers did the right thing by drafting him, not because of the player he is or isn't, but just given the time frame of where their franchise was at when making the selection. Given that the Steelers were clearly and obviously not in a Super Bowl window, so that's already a risky time to draft a running back. And given the fact that their offensive line was completely retired <laughs> or in shambles and they were starting from nothing. So, yeah, that, that makes people very emotional about Najee one way or another because a lot of people want to defend Najee because he is a good player and he's a very likable guy. But with all, bearing all that in mind, I don't think anybody could intelligently argue that this year he'd been playing well because Najee had been playing poorly. And you're just wondering, hey, is this horrible trend of – him dancing around too much like a like a, um it's basically like the kid in middle school who's already six five as a forward in basketball and just wants to shoot threes and play like a point guard that's basically what Najee Harris was doing all season and this was especially exacerbated by the fact that the five foot five running back Jalen Warren is one of the most exaggerated north to south runners we've seen in the NFL since Isaac Redman and was having much more success than Najee look it was just showing that this is a massive issue for Najee Harris, not getting up the field. And it was a night and day difference in this Saints game. So there are my three big themes. I'll dig into those. We'll talk about Canada's play calling. Um, we'll talk about uh, TJ Watt's impact and Najee Harris's improvement. And I guess let's have the fourth theme on there, which is the, the Kenny Pickett theme. Four games in, there was some good, there was some bad from Kenny Pickett and, uh, now a day after the game, I think that I've been able to synthesize my thoughts on how he played a little bit more. But Kenny Pickett's going to have to be a topic for every single game because 
the Steelers need to know if they got a guy or if they don't got a guy there. All right, so let's talk Matt Canada. I was trying this morning to find the next-gen stats and the passing charts and the route trees for the game, um, but I'm running around and I wasn't able to find them quickly. So I wish I had those exact numbers to back some of these claims up, but I can remember a few of the plays off the top of my head just now. And what first comes to mind is the fact that they caught a few more slants and a few more, just a few more in-breaking routes than usual, which is the, the most frustrating issue that the Steelers have endured these in. And it's been shocking how little they use the middle of the field. And yes, part of that is because Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky were passing up a few of those throws every game. It was very noticeable with how many cutups there are of Chase Claypool running wide open in the middle of the field as the slot receiver in the first few weeks. There's at least one or two of those every game. And you do think, hey, if, if the quarterback actually hit one or two of those every game, this would feel drastically different. Having two middle of the field completions for 10 to 20 yards per game instead of zero. So it's not 100% on Matt Canada, but it is 90% on him. Because if you look at what Mike McDaniel's doing with Tua in Miami, it's identical to what Kyle Shanahan has been doing with Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. And that's designing plays where you tell the quarterback it's going to the middle of the field. Everything is generated around uh, getting the ball to that part of the field. And I really do encourage anybody out there to watch that, watch those teams play. And uh, if you have a life and you don't have three hours to watch a, a full game of another team that you're not a fan of, just go on YouTube and look up every Jimmy Garoppolo throw from week whatever. Look up every Tua Tagovailoa throw from week whatever. I mean, you saw Tua play against the Steelers. This guy's running wide open over the middle of the field. And that is to say, while Mitch and Kenny weren't hitting some of those throws, the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh and the head coach weren't doing a good job of designing ways to get the ball to that part of the field without needing to require a, a set of reads from the quarterback. So... That has been a big issue, and it's been shocking that the Steelers could ignore such a glaring problem and that they weren't able to get something together for those plays during the week. Oh, the week's too busy. We barely have time. Like, what are we talking about? Players have been running seam patterns and slants and digs since they were 10 years old. There is a way to do it. But apparently it took two weeks. Apparently it took a bye week. So I think that was very noticeable. Off the top of my head, I can think of Deontay catching a critical slant. I can think of George Pickens catching a critical slant. By the way, these are Kenny Pickett specials. That's one of his best throws. So you, you have to line up Kenny Pickett to do everything that he does well. He does that with any quarterback. But it was just very noticeable how they attacked that area of the field. And you combine that little and obvious issue fixable issue not talent related it is coaching related and i know people want you know blaming an offensive coordinator or a head coach or a quarterback solely for the struggles of an offense can be a very hacky thing to do but in certain instances it is the correct take just look at chicago in the first three weeks of the season, didn't Justin Fields have like a cumulative 20 pass completions or something absurd? 
he looked incredible at the end of last year, especially against the Steelers. And they open up this year. They add zero pieces at receiver, zero pieces at line. They add nothing. They change the head coach. And he looks bad in the first few games. Anemic offense, no talent around him. And there are people actually saying, ah, oh, maybe he's a bust. You know, a season and a tenth into his career. Then all of a sudden, the idiots take the 6'3", 230-pound, 4'3", running quarterback and say, why don't we let you run with it? And now he's breaking every NFL rushing record. Their offense is scoring 30 points a game, still with no talent. They have no talent on the team. They just traded a second for Chase Clayton. They're hurting. And now their offense is exploding just because a dumb offensive coordinator got out of his own way and thought, Oh, maybe we should let the biggest, fastest, strongest guy, like, have the ball. All right, cool. It's like, it's like if you had Ben Roethlisberger, one of the greatest downfield passing quarterbacks of all time, one of the greatest improvisational quarterbacks of all time. It's like if you took him and just had him run five-yard passes an entire year long. I wonder what that offense would look like. So Matt Canada is – chiefly to blame for the Steelers' offensive struggles. Yes, there are rookie quarterback issues that we'll get into momentarily here, but look at the, the way the Steelers moved the ball down the field. Yep, they only scored 20 points <laughs> again and uh, kept their streak alive. I don't know if it's 15, 16 games in a row of not being able to break 21 points, but I don't have the stats right in front of me, but they got down inside the 10-yard line frequently. The Steelers were frequently moving the ball all the way down the field, and for us Steelers fans, that's a night and day difference. And a lot of that was done because the coordinator threw into the middle of the field and, and utilizing something that is just there for the taking that he was refusing. And another reason is if we're going to skip over to theme three here, is because the running back is making the most out of what's available. Najee Harris got 99 yards. I love that the Steelers' offense looked so much better, but they still didn't break their streak of, of not getting to 21 points. And also, Najee Harris didn't get to 100 yards left. It leaves a little meat on the bone, you know. There's still some motivation going forward in the future, but... Najee is taking a page from Jalen Warren's playbook and just barreling forward for two and three yard gains when there's nothing to be had instead of trying to break runs. And you see that over the course of the game, let's go back to the Justin Fields thing. It's the same with Najee Harris except for the speed. Hey, Najee, so you're actually bigger and stronger than every player on the field. So even if the line isn't making huge holes for you, you can push people for three yards at a time, and that's going to make a huge difference because this offense has a 0% chance of converting a third and 10, but a third and five they might be able to handle, right? So I thought it was extremely pronounced how straightforward Najee Harris was running. Obviously, he had the second longest run of his career, but really the best run of his career is probably like a 35-yarder, right, where he trucked that safety where you saw him break through the line of scrimmage Full speed, didn't tiptoe around. You're not Le'Veon Bell, please stop. You don't have Le'Veon Bell's offensive line, please stop. He runs through the line, gets to the second level. A safety comes up to make a hit on him, and you see every bone in his body wants to hurdle the guy. He wants to jump over him. And as Dad said on the, uh, on the phone while we were watching the game, he's like, he, Dad doesn't like the hurdles. That's an old school guy. That's from frickin' West Mifflin, all right? 
West Mifflin, PA, baby. Pittsburgh Central. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. He doesn't like the hurdling. And uh, I told him, well, you know, it is weird because a lot of people have said that, but Najee Harris has been doing the hurdle since high school, and he's maybe only gotten got one time ever, and I believe that was last week. And Dad said, all right, that's fair enough, but he, he never really gets extra yards on it. It's not like you ever break a 40-yarder from that thing. And I said, okay, well, that's a good point. I do think when you're near a first down, yeah, you can get an extra four yards, and that is valuable. But he's definitely right. When you hurdle a guy, it's never going to be for this long play. And sometimes I think the hurdling goes in the same bucket for Najee as the, hey, you're a six-foot-five fourth grader trying to shoot threes. Like, please just dunk on people. And the hurdle is the sexy move. It's the finesse move. When instead you should just run the guy over, which is what Najee did on that long run, trucking the safety and running for an extra 15, 20 yards or whatever it was, right? I think some things clicked for him this week, and I think part of it clicking is the fact that Jalen Warren has had so much success, and Jalen Warren in the media has been so supportive of him. It's really admirable. This is a thing going forward, by the way, this one-two punch. And um, then the Steelers uh, coaching staff, even in interviews in the off in the off week, carefully praising Jalen Warren's effort to to get north and south and his performance. They said, "Hey, we've re- we've reviewed the tape, and he definitely deserves more carries." I think they flirted that well, where they weren't disrespectful to Najee, but they were hammering the point home that everybody in the world, except for Najee, knew, which is that you need to please run straight. And so now. That he's doing that and he looks spectacular, you've got a lot more potential for this offense moving forward. Now, look, they're still going to need to address the line. The quarterback's still going to need to mature and get better and start making plays on his own. And yes, the Saints were extremely depleted, and that's fine because that's where the Steelers are at right now. That victory still counts because of all the Steeler controllable issues that we saw that were fixed. You know, when you're talking about talent, the Steelers have a lot of it, but they still, you know, got a little ways to go. But when you're talking about the, the, the coordinator chooses where to go with the ball, it doesn't matter if we're playing the Chiefs or the Eagles or the Saints with nobody on their team left. Th- that's still controllable, and they controlled that. Najee Harris can choose if he wants to run forward, if he wants to run to the side. And he controlled that. So I don't care that the Saints aren't good right now. And my God, they're actually very bad. (laughs) How could they be good? They have all their players are out anyways. So those are two controllable things that were really encouraging going forward. I guess to wrap up that little segment, I I will point to this Jalen Warren situation. This is is how it needs to be done. The Steelers have pointed to it in in the off week saying, um, it came out, I don't know if Najee said it, maybe he said it after the game, but they told Najee going into the year, we can't have you touch the ball as many times as he did last year. So we're going to need to get Jalen Warren touches, which was very encouraging to me because the Steelers have run all their running backs into the ground in recent years. Every time a running back has a great year, whether it's Le'Veon, D'Angelo Williams, or James Conner, they always get hurt by the time the playoffs come around because the wheels fall off because they get 90% of the touches, not more. And they're seeing, hey, this isn't the way to go. So I don't, th- I don't care if you have Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb or Saquon Barkley. I think you should always be spelling the running back 
with a backup player who's really good because there's a lot of good running backs out there and you need to take tread off the tires. So this thunder and lightning kind of combo that the Steelers have right now, this is ideal. They need to keep this going forward with Warren getting a lot of touches and, and spelling Najee because it seemed very effective. And I was encouraged by the fact that the coaching staff has addressed that directly. I was encouraged by the fact that the coaching staff has addressed the north and south thing directly, the middle of the field thing directly, all the big issues that we've been talking about in the public. The, the, the Steelers coaching staff is aware of these things too, and they're actually making efforts to solve them, and those efforts actually worked on Sunday. So that's probably the most exciting element about that Saints game going forward. I don't think that the Steelers are about to turn it around and make this huge playoff run, but we're not building for this year. We're building for next year where they could make a few key signings and become a competitive team if the quarterback takes a step. So that's awesome. So let's talk about TJ Watt. turns out that if you have the best player, the best defensive player in the league on the field, you are good. You're a good team. Yep. It's awesome to have him back. It sucks that Minka goes out the second you get T.J. Watt back. That's just the kind of season it is. Uh, but T.J. Watt's impact is just undeniable. There's kind of a thing in media right now with um, some analysts who I really respect, analysts who break down film every single week, like Chris Sims or Rolofsky or these guys, where TJ gets mentioned by the mass media as one of the best defenders because he's got the accolades. That's understandable. But sometimes he gets left off of other people's best defenders lists where they really go to Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald first, uh, Michael Parsons. And I know Steelers fans get really butthurt about that, but I don't think I don't think TJ's better than those guys. Those guys are incredible. I understand what the analysts are saying there. Um, but I also don't think those guys are better than TJ. I think they're all in the same group. And I guess what I mean is that some people are un even underrating TJ Watt. Like, he is who he is. There is no stat padding. There's nothing. He is in the group of, you know, five to eight dominant defensive players who can't be stopped. And I definitely think he has an argument as the best player because every single game he makes huge plays. There's never been a game where he doesn't make big plays in the past few years where he's healthy. He opens the game with two immediate tackles that like the line of scrimmage. And you already know, okay, it's on. And obviously, his presence greatly helps Highsmith's numbers, right? So there's this argument over Highsmith now that he can only actually get sacks when TJ Watt is in the game. And I don't agree with that. I think that he's been excellent in the games where T.J. Watt has not played, and he's actually gotten very close to a lot of sacks, or he'll force a fumble, or he'll force a quick throw, so when you look at a player, you don't, you can't look at stats. We gotta stop with that, right? Afterwards, they're a tool that can be used in conjunction with your eyeballs to see how well a guy's doing, but really what you have to watch is this. Watch Highsmith for every play. Is he beating his man? Okay, he is. Okay, is his man a tight end? Okay, he's beating a tight end. All right, well, we can't give him that much credit for that. Is he beating tackles consistently? Yes. Great. Is he beating a double team here there? 
Yes. Okay, great. Then he's playing really well. Sacks are partially a luck stat. You know, TJ Watt should have had a sack this game, but Andy Dalton technically fell forward for a one-yard game. And that was a nice play by TJ. He fought through trash and he hustled, but that was that was going to be a hustle sack. And it would have counted. It wasn't like it wouldn't have been the nicest sack in the world. So not all sacks are created equal. I guess what I'm trying to say is that Alex Highsmith has been really good, even when TJ's, TJ Watt is out. But then when TJ Watt is in, Highsmith gets two sacks. He's hitting that inside spin move, and they become formidable. And so I'm just trying to put in perspective that this is probably the best edge rushing duo the Steelers have had since Lamar Woodley and James Harrison, where Bud Dupree kind of got there. He, he became the Lamar Woodley to the Harrison in his final year with the Steelers. But Highsmith has an extra level of coordination and nuance to his game that Bud doesn't have. And neither one of them is going to be as dominant as TJ, who we just said is the best defensive player in the NFL, basically. But when you got both of those guys, your defense has something major to build around. When Minka Fitzpatrick comes back, you have something major to build around. Look at the rest of the defense. Mike Tomlin called out the corners, said that they needed to play better, and they made two spectacular combat catch interceptions in this game. KZ came in there and filled in well for Minka. Hopefully that bodes well for the Bengals game. But everybody's making plays when you have two very good edge rushers, and that's a really good good way to build a team. So that's what you look at going forward in the next year, two really good edge rushers, two really good safeties. Corners. I think the corners are okay. I think that them being bad is an overrated perception. Obviously, they don't have any lockdown guys, but their corners are serviceable, I think, as they showed yesterday. Of course, you would want to upgrade every position if you can, but they're serviceable. And then we have some things to look out for for that defensive line and the linebackers. Although, you know, Spillane spoke Bobby Spokane. He is Bobby Spokane. He's going to be up and down, but he made some good plays. We got dusted on some others. The Steelers have some things to build around. Deontay and Pickens, you know, four catches each. You got something to build around there. Two good running backs. Fryermuth with another unbelievable one-handed catch. Something to build around there. So, sort of wrap up the T.J. Watt segment. It's just very encouraging to see the bones the Steelers have, especially when you consider they're going to have three picks within the first, you know, 50 or 60 or whatever it is. Okay, very quickly to wrap this thing up, last thing we'll talk about is Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is playing like a rookie. It's up and down. I had this rant last week. We, we've only seen the man for four games. And four games with a subpar offensive line and a bottom-tier offensive coordinator. You have to take context into the guy's performance. So... He's got three rushing touchdowns and two passing touchdowns and eight interceptions. <laughs> it's not looking pretty. He is making the same mistakes that he made at University of Pittsburgh, which is he bails the pocket too early, generally to the right. He doesn't like to step up in the pocket. This is a red flag for quarterbacks. He doesn't make a lot of plays throwing the ball downfield, especially if it's into tight coverage. All of those things have been true in his first four starts for the Steelers. So you can say both of these things. Hey, he is not being given a great opportunity to succeed. And 
you would be expecting only an Andrew Luck sort of super prospect to be able to overcome a bad line and a bad coordinator. So if he's not playing well, that's an unreasonable expectation. And then secondarily, hey, yeah, he's making mistakes. Let's see if he corrects them. So that's what that game was to me. He was unbelievably inaccurate in the first half. He missed two wide-open touchdowns, one to Deontay, throwing downfield, and a fade to Fryer move, throwing downfield. He needs to work on that. He bailed the pocket a couple times too early, kind of spazzes out, like passed up a wide-open first down to Deontay Johnson on the third and four where he actually audibled. Deontay ran a slant, standing there wide open right in front of him. Kenny kind of pees his pants and all of a sudden starts running around in the pocket like a chicken with his head cut off. Those are all the Kenny Pickett problems from Pitt that we said would not translate when you're out of the ACC and you're playing the NFL. So can he fix those problems? Definitely. And that's what we'll monitor. So I guess that's just what I'm trying to say with Kenny. It's like, yeah, he's a gamer. He gets out there on the block. That's awesome. And he ended up throwing for almost 200 yards, none of it garbage time, ran for another touchdown, was very composed, and stuck in there. And, and once again, just looks at home, looks comfortable enough on an NFL field where I think you can take those as positives and just misses too many throws down the field. So is he going to miss those throws for his whole career? We don't know. Time will tell. But – I think that he, for his fourth game in playing and in the situation that he's in, it's okay to sort of judge him that way because if you get above average quarter play, quarterback play in this offense, you're definitely scoring over 20 points a game, and it would be unreasonable to expect that from Kenny now. So just consider us being on Kenny watch. We'll analyze his play every single week as such. I think he finished the game nicely. It was unbelievable to see. I think the Steelers ran like 10 run plays to sort of ice the game at the end of the game. There was massive steps forward, and the Steelers actually would have blown the Saints out of the water if the quarterback had hit some of the wide-open throws at the beginning of the game. I mean, even the first play of the game, they go five wide. They split Najee Harris out. Najee Harris is only split out for 10% of the plays this year as opposed to around 20% last year. There's another thing the offensive staff clearly – paid attention to and addressed during the bye week. He's got George Pickens wide open on a corner route, should be having like 20, 30-yard gain on first down. He just sails the ball. We, if Kenny's hitting some of these things, they're going to blow the Saints out of the water. And uh, I'm crossing my fingers that he can fix them. This is an, an indictment on him, but if we see those things constantly for a year, then yeah, you gotta you got to raise the flag. But so far, so good. Steelers won. Love it. They play the Bengals next week, and TJ Watt is back. And Jamar Chase is not playing. Now, Micah Fitzpatrick's not playing, which is scary when you're going against the Bengals, the big play Bengals, who want to throw the ball downfield. But without Jamar Chase, that's a significant difference in in what they can do. So I think that the Bengals have kind of got themselves together. I think uh, the Steelers are going to prioritize making sure Joe Mixon doesn't kill them. He hasn't had as big of a year as he's had this year as he did last year, but you remember how much he killed the Steelers last year? This, uh, the Steelers talked about after the game, Mike Tomlin said our number one goal was to minimize Kamara and Taysom Hill when he's running the ball. So their strategy against the Saints was like, you can throw it, but you are not going to beat us with Alvin Kamara. I think with Jamar Chase not playing for the Bengals, you have the luxury of just saying, all right, you're going to have to beat us with Higgins, who's a great player too, but we're not letting – 
Nixon just destroy us. So I will actually say I do think the Steelers have a chance of winning this game. If Jamar Chase was playing, I'd say it's going to be a tall task because, you know, along with Justin Jefferson, I think, you know, Jamar is up there with Tyreek Hill and those type of guys as the sort of unguardable, annoying receivers. It's like playing against Antonio Brown. Um, and that would have been tougher. I wouldn't be completely shocked with TJ Watt back and the pass rush back and forth. You saw what the Steelers did to them the first time. Wouldn't be shocked if the Steelers won that game, especially feeling good off of this Saints victory. So keep track with us at Steelers Outpost on Twitter, Steelers Outpost at gmail.com. If you want to email us, we'll be watching. Have a beautiful time. Go Steelers. Okay, man, A quick addendum addendum to the podcast here at the end of the podcast i talk about kenny pickett and after re-watching finally having the time to re-watch all of his snaps yesterday i feel like i undersold him a little bit um or rather i didn't make clear enough the point i was trying to make which is that kenny pickett looks to be taking steps forward um, and it's okay to criticize some things that he's missing without people having to assume that you're, you're crucifying the guy. So when you rewatch that game, he was assisted tremendously by Matt Canada by putting him in more uh, positions to succeed. Kenny mentioned the fact that they called more in-breaking routes during the game. That's true. A couple beautiful slant passes to Deontay Johnson and George Pickens to move the chains. A uh, couple plays, crossers that were called to get guys wide open, Kenny hit some of them. He missed on some of the other ones, including the first play of the game. So anyways, just wanted to make sure that I didn't undersell Kenny's performance. More so, I was just speaking about the fact that he has a ways to go. And for anybody to condemn him right now, only four games into his entire career would be ridiculous. And it would also be ridiculous to assume he's going to be a great player just four games in. All I know is this, he's improved since when he first started. And that's very encouraging. So I liked uh, some of the aggression he showed throwing the ball down the field and then the decisiveness he showed running the ball. That's a huge weapon, especially for a young quarterback. Just run it a little bit more and good things are gonna happen. Along with that, he had a couple very wise throwaways. Rewatching that game, it, it looked even a lot better than I thought on TV and I did think it looked pretty good. It was just a little frustrating when we missed some opportunities in the first half. We'll see if he corrects that going forward. I hope it. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.